Hey everybody, welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I am one of your hosts, Misty Stinnett. Your other consummate, gorgeous, brilliant host is not here today because as you've been hearing over the past couple of weeks and I guess months now, Lisa and I are finding more balance as she moves through grief and as we navigate this very busy time, 14, 15, who can know how many months into the pandemic as surge capacity is depleted and we are just trying to keep on keeping on. I am joined by a super special guest today, but before I introduce her, a little bit of housekeeping. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is the podcast where every week we read and review a popular self-help book. We give you the highs, the lows, the tips, the tricks, the goods, the bads, so that under an hour you will know if this book is worth your time and the investment of your money, or if you should avoid it at all costs and stay away and it's going to wreak havoc on your life or mostly somewhere in between. And then on Tuesdays, we have a mini-sode, and that's where we explore anything and everything self-help that is not a book. And sometimes, sometimes, my friends, we are so lucky, and we are joined by a real live author on the podcast, which is today. Everybody, please, please open your hearts and minds to our very special guest, Gabrielle Boucher. Gabrielle, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Oh my God, my pleasure. So for those of you who have not heard of Gabrielle, I am going to read you her bio. Buckle up, it is a doozy. (laughs) Gabrielle is one of the most booked millennial motivators in the world. She has been called the next generation of motivators by Tom Ziegler and is a popular TEDx presenter, best-selling author, and co-founder of The Purpose Company. Her work has been endorsed by the likes of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, heard of him, Brian Tracy, Lewis Howes, and co-founder of Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mark Victor Hansen. Gabrielle has worked with everyone from presidential campaigns, the U.S. Navy and Air Force, and the top brands in the world. Gabrielle has been featured in major media outlets, including Success, NPR, Sirius XM Radio, Bloomberg Radio, Glamour Magazine, Business Insider, and Los Angeles Times, to which I say... (laughs) Same. Gabrielle quit her job at 23 to launch her first company, consulting major brands and the government on how to reach millennials. Her breakout moment came at a networking meeting when she introduced herself as a millennial expert to someone who would end up being her first client, (coughs) the U.S. Navy. Gabrielle has written five books ranging from millennial motivation, next generation entrepreneurship, and how to find your purpose. Gabrielle's approach to life, love, and business is the self-deprecating, deeply wise, and insanely practical solution we need right now. Holy shit. Welcome to the podcast, Gabrielle. (laughs) Your intro of me was stellar. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am super stoked to jump into it, to talk about all things self-help. Love the concept behind the podcast, and I'm really honored to spend some time with you. Thank you so much. And I'm so tempted to just say, you know, just asking for a friend, you know, how does someone find their purpose? But we're not going to ask that question. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and tease that Gabrielle is coming back on on a mini-sode to talk all about finding your purpose and all about how she, how and why she founded her company, The Purpose Company. So Gabrielle, you are here. I'm so stoked you're here. You are here to present one of your books. So what is the title of the book? And can you sum it up for us in one sentence? Sure. So the book I'm sharing with you here today is The Purpose Factor, Extreme Clarity for Why You're Here and What to Do About It. And I wrote the book with my husband, Brian, who's my co-author, who is my co-founder of my company, The Purpose Company. And we wrote it because we were so tired of people telling us to find our purpose, but never (laughs) telling us how to find our purpose. Thank you. So it's a super strategic, science-backed process of finding and applying your purpose. You just said the words that get me hot, which is (laughs) science-backed. 
Oh yeah, I'm a data girl. I'm like, let's talk numbers. Oh my because god! Because it's yeah, I know the fluffy feeling buzzwords that doesn't do it for me. But if I know that if I plug it in and it works. I'm all ears. I'm your girl. I love it so much. And something that you said that I respected so much on a phone call that we had recently was that you want things to be replicable. You want to be able to sort of systematize an approach that you've used so that other people can use it. Because I think Lisa and I get so frustrated when we're reading a book and it sounds, it's all these sort of ambiguous solutions to these universal problems. And I think, oh my God, that sounds so good. And then I sit down and try to apply it in my life. And I don't, there's nothing really concrete for me to do, you know? Oh my goodness. I, it's And I grew up during kind of the high of the self-help space where in like eighth grade, I was listening to Jim Rohn and Earl Nightingale. Your audience probably doesn't even know who these people are. <laughs> like the OGs of motivation, okay? Like on a tape, And then I got into Tony Robbins. I mean, I was like deep into it in eighth grade. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. And I would listen to it on my way to school, and I was just fascinated by motivation because I knew that I could get myself motivated. I'm extremely competitive. I know how to tap into that part of my brain. But I looked at my friends. I looked at my peers, and and they didn't have the same kind of approach as me. Yeah. And and so that really caused me to look at, okay, can you turn motivation on? What causes someone to be more motivated than someone else? Because I wasn't satisfied with people just saying, well, some people are motivated and some people aren't. Yeah. That's not a fair answer nor an accurate answer. And so that's where I think I started to really look into what causes someone to be curious about their future, Mm. what causes someone to want to do the hard work to not party on the weekends and stay in and, and write your book or to launch your company instead of going on vacation or whatever that looks like. What is that that mindset that you need to tap into? Because I tapped into it pretty early on, I think just out of self-preservation. Sure. I went through a lot growing up as a kid. I came through raising an alcoholic family. Mm-hmm. I couldn't control what was going on in my household, but I could control achieving things. Yeah. And so because of that, I had to become number one on the sports team, number one in my class. I'm not that smart. I wasn't number one in my class, but like <laughs> top, top 50-ish yeah. in my class. And, and getting to the point where I felt like, okay, I can achieve. And I know if I put in this amount of work, this is going to be the, the output or the outcome. Mm. And, and so I think I took that same kind of approach to looking at purpose is, okay, if I know that I can put in this amount of work, I want something to be concrete on the other side. And so that's where we came up with this process, which we'll probably dig into here later, of how do you discover your purpose in a way that is scalable, is able to be replicated, and is going to be applicable whether you're 22 or 82. Oh my God. I don't, I don't want to wait till later. I want to dive into this right now. So here's the, the big question. How do you find your purpose? And then how do you put it into practice? <laughs> Yeah, so the process is really simple, and I'll give some background on how we came up with this process because mm-hmm. some people will come in and say, okay, you know, how did you discover this? And number one, we were not planning on it. We did not come into this world thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be the one and only way to find purpose. Mm. But again, we were so darn frustrated that everyone kept saying, find your purpose and never told us how. Right. And they're like, go look into the distance and look at a sunset or it'll just happen to you. Which is some of the worst advice. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. And so this process really started, number one, with can we define purpose? And so purpose is the best of what you have inside of you to help other people. Mm. Plain and simple. If you really recognize that purpose isn't about you, it's about helping other people. It really helps you prioritize things. Because if you go through life saying, okay, I want this to be about me, you're never going to be fulfilled. You're just going to be happy for a moment, but happiness is fleeting. Yeah. And so this process of purpose discovery really started with, first of all, what is purpose? Can we define it? Then we went into what are the elements of purpose? And so Brian and I spent about six years studying purpose, everything from what ancient philosophy said from popular religions to what did motivators talk about? What did they all have in common? 
because we said we can't be the first people to be asking this question, but maybe we're the first people to come up with a system that really created a process for people to follow. Mm. So there's four different steps, which we'll jump into later. But the biggest question I love to put in front of people, if I only have 10 minutes with you and you're really looking at how do I find my purpose, one of my top questions is, what have you overcome that you can help other people overcome? Mm. I love that. What have you overcome that you can help other people overcome? Because if you focus on what you've overcome, whether it's an eating disorder or being raised uh, in a home with with substance abuse or mm. an abusive relationship or getting into college or paying off college debt, whatever that looks like, your story is your authority. Mm. And when you tap into that power of what you've overcome, you then have the authority to then be able to go and help other people. And that's the other's part of of using your purpose. So it's a quick, easy way when I'm working with anybody. If you really want to kind of go to ground zero of how do I find my purpose, start with answering that question. What have I overcome that I can help other people overcome? I love that. I've also heard in in a very similar vein, this idea that often the gifts that we can give to the world are the things we'd most love to receive as well. Absolutely, because there's a reason that you have seen that need. I mm. oftentimes will say that the the TSA woman who says, if you see something, say something, stole it from my mom. Because my mom <laughs> used to always say, I'm like, I'm like, mom, you need royalties on that. Because she used to always tell me growing up, if you see something, you should say something about it. If you see that there's a need, if you see that this company isn't doing it well enough, if you see that that person isn't taken care of, there's a reason that you see it and other people don't. Mm. And that perspective also, too, can become that platform that you can use to to really use your purpose to help other people. And and that's where I think becoming curious around around your purpose is so powerful because oftentimes I think we feel entitled Mm. to our purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, I should just know it or it should just reveal itself to me. But it's... Your your purpose is your permission. Like You need to tap into that purpose that you have inside of you instead of waiting for other people to come around and say, this is what you should do, or you know, you, have you really thought about this? Mm-hmm. This kind of a wait and see and have someone else come alongside me and tell me what to do with my life, I think especially for our generation, has really hamstrung us. I think that we have missed out on so much because we've waited for this purpose fairy to come around and tell us what to do with our lives. And and she's not coming. She's not coming. I feel like the the times in my life where someone has sat down and said, hey, do you know that you're really good at this? Or have you thought about this? I, I can count them on one hand. I mean, it's just not something. Everyone's so worried about themselves and their own daily stresses and things that it's like they're not necessarily looking out for us. And I, I find it simultaneously empowering and terrifying to think that we are fully responsible for discovering our own purpose. Absolutely we are. And we should be. Because Mm. if you put your purpose in other people's hands, you're going to constantly be disappointed. So we wait and look for permission from four different places. We wait for permission from our parents Mm -hmm. saying, hey, is it okay that I do this or study this or marry this person? Mm. Um, We wait for permission from, from our educational experiences or programs. Like, okay, if I go back to school or get a degree or get a certification, then I, then I'm somehow worthy of using my purpose. Qualified. Yep. Right. And, and that's a huge, huge myth. And a, a lot of times we're waiting for our permission from our partners. Hey, is it okay if I move forward? We want to keep the peace. And so either because they don't see us or support us, we hold ourselves back. Mm. And the fourth group is our peers. Whether it's through comparison, we're comparing our path with our uh, with our friends, or we don't want to leave our friends in the in the dirt if we're moving forward and they're not. We hold ourselves back from pursuing something that's going to really be the most important journey of our life. And for your listeners really thinking about, if I'm not where I'm at, is it one of those four areas that I'm waiting for permission from? Am I wanting to prove my parents right or prove my parents wrong? Mm. Because that's typically what happens is, depending on how we grew up, we either want to prove someone right or prove someone wrong. So that's a core motivation. Are you waiting for it from your from your friends? Are you waiting to go back to programs to feel more qualified? Or are you looking to your partner to say you're allowed to do something? Mm-hmm. Because every time we put our purpose in someone else's hands, we're giving them this silent power over our lives mm-hmm. that many of them are not equipped 
to handle, nor yes. nor should they. It's not their responsibility. The responsibility really, really starts and ends with us. So does your book outline the steps to take to overcome these four different areas? Yes, we do. So one of the kind of deep passions that I have is on the application side of really pretty much everything. So in any business meeting, in any sort of connection I'll ever have with someone, I'm the so what kind of girl. So I'm (laughs) slightly sarcastic, uh, a little skeptical. And so I'm always saying, okay, so what and now what? Mm. So, okay, you found your purpose. That sounds great. And it's powerful. When you find your purpose, decisions come easier. Clarity comes faster. You're Mm. more motivated. It's amazing. But if you don't know how to apply your purpose, it's nauseating. It's actually more frustrating. And and I know this because that's where I was at for five years. Five years. For five years of my life, I knew wow. my purpose and wasn't using it. And, and that's because I was waiting for my boss to say that I was allowed to. That's because I was waiting for opportunities to come around. I was waiting to be discovered. Because I think a lot of times in our in our society right now, we have this concept of just throw content out there and someone will find you. Mm-hmm. Or I had I had I had podcasts, I started YouTube channels, I'd written, like you said, five books. Mm. I kept putting out these things, waiting for someone to come around me and say, You have what it takes. Here's this platform mm. rather than here's this pre-existing opportunity. Exactly. Right. And and I think we oftentimes want that because we don't want to feel like we are or appear to be like pushing ourselves or this kind of egomaniac. Right. But in reality, it still is ego because we're still protecting ourselves from rejection, which is still ego. Totally. And also, I mean, I find it comforting to think that someone will pick me out of a crowd and say, I've got this pre-existing company that I'm already taking all the risk on, and I want to hire you and welcome you into the fold and pay you a salary and give you benefits, and you'll feel creatively fulfilled, but you won't have this risk. You know, that sounds amazing. But tell me if I'm way off base here. When in your work, at the Purpose Company, which is basically full-time helping people find and apply their purpose, right? Yes, exactly. So do you find, how often do you find that there's there are already pre-existing positions for people's purpose versus sort of like trailblazing a new path for themselves? Well, a, a big part of that is a choice. And you have a choice. And I think sometimes we think that we're predestined to be entrepreneurs or employees. But that's not the case because purpose is vocation agnostic. Mm. That means you can have a purpose if you're starting an ice cream shop or working for an ice cream company. You can be a stay-at-home mom or you can be a CEO. That doesn't mean you don't have a purpose if you're in between jobs or if you're a student or you're retired. And, And I think that a lot of times in America, we assume that your purpose in your career are the same Mm. rather than seeing your career as the platform to use your purpose. Or the delivery system. Exactly. And so, and I, and I want to even take a step back here because that idea of, of waiting to be discovered for, especially for our generation was really instilled by these Disney type movies of sitting (laughs) and waiting for this prince to come and save us. Oh yeah. And it's this total backwards way of looking at the world. Like I'm going to keep doing my thing. And then this brave knight is going to come and save me, or this prince is going to show me what to do, or he's going to see me as this diamond Mm. in the rough. And we have this really weird backward way of looking at using who we are to help other people. Like we need to have someone see us for who we are. And although we see ourselves as, you know, not enough and insecure, and he's going to make us over and then turn us into this beautiful flower. Basically, it's the entire the entire storyline of A Star is Born. Like, take A Star is Born, yeah. and that is basically <laughs> how we think we're going to be using our purpose in the world. Oh. Like, I'm this insecure, undiscovered person, and someone who's better off, smarter, wiser, richer is going to find me and let me use their platform to use my purpose. Mm-hmm. And It is so dangerous to live your life that way because, number one, they're not coming. And number two, if they do come, how do you know that they're going to have your best interest in mind? Mm. And and I am speaking from such deep personal experience because that was me. For those five years, I went from company to company saying, will you let me use my purpose? How would you define your purpose at that time? Generational reconciliation. 
So bringing generations together, helping our generation understand people who are older and people who are older understand our generation. Mm. And that's still my purpose. Your purpose doesn't change throughout your life. It's who you're serving with it. And I had such a deep heart for my generation to glean wisdom from those who were older than us because I had benefited from it that I recognized well, why, is, why are other people in my generation not tapping into that? Mm. And so that's part of what we do at the, at the Purpose Company is translate ancient wisdom into things that our generation can practically use, teach, and implement because it's a new generation and a new era and, and new challenges. And, and I remember going in and having bosses saying, of course, we, we can back you and, and you can get a PhD or, yeah, you can utilize our platform to serve your people this way or speak on our behalf, or here's this podcast platform. Mm. And and I bought it because it seemed easy Mm. and it sounded responsible rather than doing what I really needed to do, which was separate myself from the crutch that was the company I was working for, really get clear on my message, and more importantly, get really clear on that same question I said before, what have I overcome that I can help other people overcome? Mm -hmm. Because most people will say, my purpose is to help people. Like, okay, that sounds, it sounds nice to say. And it's kind of true because everyone's purpose is to help people. But that's not your specific purpose. I call it the Miss America answer. Like, okay, thank you for the world peace answer. You know, silently wave and walk off the stage. You're not actually helping anyone with that answer. And you're not helping yourself. You're not getting clarity on who you are or who who you're supposed to help. Mm -hmm. So apart from the Miss America answer, the hard journey is to really go deep and really focus on who am I and who is it that I'm supposed to help. Mm -hmm. And when you answer those two questions, then you get clarity on everything else. Then you can decide, okay, I'm in between these two different job opportunities. Should I become an accountant or a librarian? okay, now I've got clarity on my purpose. I know what to do. Or I have these three different business ideas. Now I've got clarity about what I should do. Or I don't know if I want to stay in this company or if I want to retire early and start a nonprofit. Now you have clarity on what it is that you can do. So that's, I think, what's so powerful about purpose is it becomes this decision-making mechanism by which you can actually decide what to do. Your compass. rather Rather than just going with your gut. Because I've made plenty of gut decisions, like most of my dating experience, and it doesn't turn out that great. I don't trust my <laughs> gut. She's not correct all the time. She's a little emotional. Sure. And and if we have something that we know is true, we know that we have confidence moving forward. And I think, Misty, I think that's what we want more than anything, is we want clarity and we want confidence. 100%. I, th- I think that's it. Yeah. And I think... I think I personally have one of the worst cases of buyer's remorse in the world. And it doesn't matter what it is, right? It's like, if I move to a new apartment, I'll be like, oh my God, I made a mistake. I should have stayed in the old one. If I buy a pair of socks, I'm like, I should have gotten the ones hanging next to it. Like it can go from large decisions to small decisions. And I think it just sounds very comforting to go, no, I know my, we can say soul level purpose or deep personal purpose, however you want to frame it, agnostic or spiritual. But it sounds like there's a deep satisfaction just in knowing like, oh, I I know where to point the boat. Like as the waters change, I know where kind of the general direction I'm supposed to be steering. My question for you is, if I were to come to you or pick up this book and feel totally clueless about my purpose. How long in your experience, and I know everybody's different, but on average, how long does it take for someone to go from being pretty clueless to being like, this is my purpose? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what we've actually tracked with our program through the Purpose Company, which is called Purpose Mastery, which is really like this like the book on steroids. Mm. So it's one thing to read a book. It's another thing to go through a program. Yeah. And the difference is, you know, reading or watching a YouTube show on on going to Paris versus actually going to Paris. Sure. You're seeing the same stuff, but yeah. one is on a screen versus one is you're like, oh my gosh, this crepe is changing my life. Mm. So that's kind of the the difference of the two. But our purpose mastery program we've tracked on uh, and on average, our students have a breakthrough within the first three weeks. Three weeks. So so to go from, oh my gosh, who am I and what am I supposed to do to, 
I have clarity on who I am and what I'm supposed to do in three weeks, which is pretty powerful. And the difference is, is having a series in a system of uh, a series of questions and a system to be able to actually go through. So it's like if I were to say, hey, can you, you know, meet me in Philadelphia, but I don't give you a map, I don't give you directions, I don't say when you need to be there, you may or may not ever end up there because you're not motivated to get there, nor do you know how to get there. Sure. Let alone if I give you an incentive, if I give you a map and I give you a deadline, you're going to show up. And so that's really the difference of of going through a process of purpose discovery on your own versus going through it in a program and having the right questions to answer versus just saying, what makes me feel good, which is the passion question, which you mentioned, what am I passionate about? Well, the dictionary definition of passion is a barely controllable emotion. Oh, really? Which we talk about in a book. <laughs> yeah. We have a whole chapter on how passion is such crap advice because if you follow your passion, you're, you are going with your emotion. And you can have a barely controllable emotion for ice cream, but that doesn't mean that's your purpose. And so if you focus on on problems that need solving rather than emotions you currently have, you're not only going to be happier and more fulfilled long-term, you're going to be more successful, you're going to be more motivated, and you're actually going to be using your purpose. But passion and purpose often meet, right? There has to, Or do you find that passion is developed once someone come, becomes proficient at their purpose, like Cal Newport might say in his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You, it's like, no, find the thing that you're good at and then passion comes later. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, your Yeah, I love Cal. Yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly is an element of it. So what we talk about, there are four parts of purpose. One is natural advantage, which is what you are naturally brilliant at. It's the role you tend to play. It's a role you play in your family, in your friend group, at work. You do it really without thinking. Mm. The second is acquired skills. So the abilities that you develop through education or experience. The third is what we call pull passion. So pull passion is the problem in the world that you want to solve. Some people like solving really big, complex, hairy, complicated problems. Mm-hmm. Some people get very overwhelmed by that. And they like fall, they like solving very small, specific problems for specific groups of people. Sure. And then the fourth element of, of your purpose factor is what we call origin story, which is the perspective that you've gathered from overcoming something very challenging, mm. typically something that happened before the age of 20. Mm. So, wow, so pull so passion is a part of of your purpose, but it's not where you start. So passion is important, but passion is more of what motivates you versus what fulfills you. And and so it's not something that you completely ditch altogether, but passion isn't where you start. Mm. And I think that's the key differentiator. And I think something that's really important that needs clarifying, that if we continue to let our passions guide us, we end up emotional, frustrated, and bitter because things didn't end up how we wanted Mm -hmm. versus if we let purpose guide us and recognize that passion oftentimes is right behind, if not right alongside, we're going to be much happier with our decision long-term. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And so, okay, so you outline in the book these factors of purpose. And even though it's not the full program that you do at the Purpose Company, are there steps that readers can take to discover their purpose and to start getting some clarity on there? Exactly. Yeah. And, and within the book itself, we actually have a journal that you can download at purposefactorbook.com slash journal that will lead you through the questions. And so it's really like a workbook because again, I'm your practical gal, oh, the, yeah. so, the so what <laughs> and now what. And so I wanted to make sure that even if someone's picking up a copy of our book at Barnes & Noble or Amazon or wherever you buy your books, that when they bought The Purpose Factor, that they had a workbook that they could really work alongside. Mm. And, and so that I think is really important because if you're working on your purpose and you're just doing it flippantly or pursuing purpose like a hobby, yeah. you're not going to get professional results. So it's like saying, oh, I'm a, I'm an NFL or I'm a professional football player, but I don't train like an NFL professional football player. That's the difference between, between saying, yeah, I'm looking after my purpose or you're actually doing it like a professional would be doing it. So mm-hmm. that's the difference is what kind of inputs are you putting in if you're wanting to have stellar outputs? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, and so if you follow the, the the strategies, if you download the workbook, if you actually pay attention and, and are honest with yourself, because there are a lot of people who will BS them their way through a, a program like ours or a book like ours and say, oh yeah, I think I know what my purpose is. But that's because they're coming in with pre-existing ideas of mm-hmm. where they want to end up versus being honest about who they are and what they have to offer the world. And, and that core honesty is one of the the core characteristics and values that we talk about in the book of if you want to have a transformation, honesty is one of those core things that you really have to embody. As you're speaking, I just keep hearing like finding your your purpose could mean the disillusionment of a lot of the things that you thought you knew or the path you were on or who you thought you were or expectations for your life or relationships, like this sounds like kind of treacherous work. And do you feel like this is something people can or should do on their own? Or is this really kind of a community event? Such a great question. And it's true. When you find your purpose, there are implications for it. You may look at your friend circle and realize these people are actually holding me back from my purpose. Mm. You may look at your partner and say, you know what? This person's actually very toxic And what I thought was a really good relationship is actually just me holding on to someone because I'm fearful Mm -hmm. of moving forward on my own. Mm -hmm. You can say, hey, this job I thought was really going to be, you know, where I was going to end up the rest of my life. But now I recognize that it's holding me back Mm -hmm. and I'm not really able to walk in fully who I am. And I'm really only holding on to it for for security and for safety. Mm -hmm. So there are key revelations that you have when you find your purpose, that if you go through it with that honesty component of it, you're really going to have some powerful insights. And so accountability is really important because when you are going through it, whether you go through a program like ours, Purpose Mastery, or you go through the book with a friend, we've got folks all the time who are messaging us on Instagram or LinkedIn or or joining our community on Facebook and saying, oh my gosh, I just did this with my sister. I'm doing this with my two best friends. And in the community element of it is really powerful because when you have the accountability of a friend or a partner or or someone that you can actually talk through things with, there's not only an aha that you're having for yourself, but you get to celebrate that aha for other people. And, and that's what it's all about. I mean, we are you know communal creatures and we love being in community with people and encouraging one another and learning with one another and sharing what we're learning with, other, with others. Mm. So the purpose discovery process and the purpose application process is always best done in a community. Yeah, it sounds like having having regular sessions with a therapist while you're finding your purpose is not a terrible idea either. And before we talk about application of purpose, I am so curious. In your experience, is everyone able to find their purpose or is this a position of privilege? Because it's like you're saying, you've got to, we're talking about leaving safety. We're talking about leaving security potentially, right? And it sounds like even having the luxury of time to sit down and ask oneself, what is my purpose? What do I want to do with my life? How can I pivot? Is this something that people at all intersections of life have the luxury of doing? Absolutely. And I don't think purpose is a privilege. Purpose is what's inside of us at all times. We're created with a purpose. And so because of that, it's not something that you get to a position in your life and you now have the luxury of discovery. All of us have the responsibility and the duty. And so if wherever you're at in your life, whatever position that you're in, whatever stress level that you're in, whether you're you know in between jobs or you're retired and, and sitting pretty, no matter where you are, you have a duty to discover and to use your purpose. Because if not, you're going to continue going through life. And we all know what it feels like to feel used and abused, to feel exhausted and overwhelmed, to feel lost and confused. Mm. And, and that's not a healthy place to be physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you name it. Mm. So we talk about mental health as a society. We talk about taking care of ourselves. We talk about really making sure that we have enough inside of us that we can give to other people. And yet many of us will not do 
the work to ask ourselves some simple questions that are going to bring clarity and light to so many other areas of our life. Mm. And, and so it's the most important journey that any of us are on, no matter if you're 16 or 106, wherever you're at in your journey, you have the opportunity in front of you to use your purpose. You're not too old, too young, too rich, too poor. No adjective associated to you, positive or negative, can keep you from finding and from using your purpose. The only thing you have to start off with is recognizing that you're worthy mm-hmm. of looking for your purpose. Mm-hmm. When I meet people who say, you know, I don't think that purpose is that important, what they've told me is, I don't believe I'm worth investing in. Mm. Yeah. That's what they're saying. They're saying it's too hard. They're saying, I don't want to be let down again. I don't want to put something like my whole heart behind something or my reputation or my finances or my time Mm. behind something and have it not work out. Yeah. Because they don't truly believe that they're worth it. Right. And so that's step zero in the process of purpose discovery is to recognize that what you have inside of you is worth pursuing. Because if you have breath in your lungs, you have purpose to use. Breath equals purpose. And, and so that permission piece that we've been talking about here, Misty, I think is so important because so many people don't think that they have that permission because they don't feel like they're in a place in their lives that they can take a breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you're breathing right now, that's the only breath that you need. Right. I think sometimes we have this very dramatic and almost romantic view of what purpose discovery looks like. Like, okay, well, I'll have time when the kids leave the house. Or Mm -hmm. I'll have time when I do this weekend away. Or I'll have time when I get this new job. I'll be in a linen dress on a mountaintop with the sunshine and my freshly washed hair. And that's exactly right. Yeah. And and we wait for these perfect moments. And and someone the other day asked me, they said, How is it that people who promise themselves that in 10 years they won't be stuck in the same position that they're in today wake up in 10 years being stuck in the same exact position that they're in today? Mm. And I think the answer is that they're waiting for that perfect moment, that perfect weekend when they have nothing else planned except for sitting down with the purpose factor and a journal and writing it all out. And life is messy. It's imperfect. Maybe it's listening to an audiobook on the way to work. Maybe it's, you know, in between loads of laundry, thinking about things. Maybe it's just being silent and turning off all the noise so Mm -hmm. you can actually listen to your brain and your soul. It's such an important journey. And I'm so passionate about helping people through it because that was me. I mean, five years ago, I was waiting for the perfect moment. I was waiting for the purpose fairy. I was waiting to be discovered and it didn't happen. What was your breaking point? I remember I was at a, I was at a conference and I remember at this conference, there was someone else doing what I had always wanted to do. They're writing and speaking on the subject that I was passionate about. And I left this conference hall and I was an audience member and I knew that something inside of me was supposed to be on that stage. I didn't have a clear message. I didn't have any experience. I didn't have the degrees and all the things that I wanted to do. But there was something in me that was like, no, that should be you. Mm. And at first I thought it was jealousy. Because I didn't ever have that feeling before. I thought, why am I jealous of this person speaking? I don't know him from Adam. I'm not really jealous of him. Mm -hmm. But it was like this strange feeling inside of me. It was like my purpose was coming alive. And and it it was trying to get my attention. In doing so, made me realize, well, that person had a starting point. And what if this is mine? And I had this breaking point when I walked away from that conference and it was just a few short words, but that mantra that really pushed me to do something was I have a choice. Mm. I had a choice and I didn't feel like I did. I'd fallen into a relationship. I'd fallen into a job. I'd fallen into a pattern. Mm -hmm. I'd fallen into a friend group and it felt bad complaining about it because from the outside looking in, I was successful, but I wasn't where I should be. And I think sometimes we feel bad for being discontent. Yes, of course. The good enough. Isn't this good enough? I've yeah. got all these things I'm provided for. I have good coworkers. I've got stability or whatever, you know, insert qualifier here. And right? we can all say that about everything. We're the masters of spin. 
we're the masters of justification and saying, well, this will work out or, you know, he'll change or it'll be okay in a few years or I'll wait till I retire. Mm -hmm. We spin things constantly to keep ourselves stuck. Yeah. Because stuck is scary, but stepping out is sometimes scarier. Yeah. Well, there's safety and security here, right? Our default purpose of, I want to make money. I want to eat food. I want to be admired, right? Those are right. all sort of those status quo reactionary purposes that we find yeah. running the show, but we maybe don't even realize they're running the show as opposed yeah. to how can I, I use my gifts or... And I think that that's what you have to shift your focus around. And so I, when I realized I had a choice that also to put the power and the ownership back with me, mm-hmm. I couldn't blame, I couldn't delay, I couldn't be bitter I couldn't do those things that kept me feeling like it's okay that things aren't working out because it's so-and-so's fault. Right. Whether it's the economy, my boss, my parents fill in the blank. It was like, no, this is, Gab, this is your life. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, 25 and I had to realize, okay, it's not cute anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I had a friend of mine, I was talking to her, I said, well, we're still young. And she said, we're not that young. And I was like, I mean, 25 is young. (laughs) 25 is pretty young. Yeah, because you hit 30 and you're like, I was such you're a like, baby. I was a but, baby. <laughs> but I had even that excuse of I have time. Yeah. So when I started to write down the excuses that were keeping me stuck, mm. I recognized that I had convinced myself into this place of stuck, that I had time, that someone was coming, that I just needed to keep doing, keep my head down, keep doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Rather than that breaking point that I was like, I have a choice. And if my life isn't how I want, it's because it's my own damn fault. Mm. And and I remember we write about this in the book, actually. Brian did not want to put this in the book because he thought it was a stupid example. Fun times when you're writing with your partner. He and I are great authors and we work so well together, but it's funny how things kind of come out. But I wrote in there the the example from The Wedding Date. I don't know if you've seen that movie or not. Yes, the um, Vince from like Vaughn back- <laughs> movie. Oh, no, that's Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers, very different. Yeah, yeah. with um, uh, I think Deborah Messing's in it and mm-hmm. Delmont Maroney's in it. Mm-hmm. And and there's this exchange between the two um, main actors and she says something about how every woman has the exact love life that she wants. And um, she said, oh, I don't believe that. He said, of course they do. And it was this interesting exchange that got me thinking, do all of us have the same kind of money situations that we that we think we deserve? Is it the same when it comes to our purpose, when it comes to our relationships? And it just started making me really think about what part was I playing in my own life? Mm. Rather than going with the flow and causing things to happen to me, what part of my life was I causing to happen because of me? And so it really reset the ownership I was playing in my own life mm. that, you know, I could walk around the world and say, you know, hey, it's not fair because of this, this, and this. But that wasn't getting me any closer to being fulfilled or happy. And so it was just this ownership reset that I think for me changed everything. Yeah. I mean, I think I struggle with this a bit because it's easier for, it's easy for us to sit here as two cute white women and say like, oh, like our, our circumstances, you know, we are in control of that because it's like, Systemic racism is real. You know, xenophobia is real. If I'm if I'm queer and I'm black, it's going to be harder for me. You know, I'm going to have more more obstacles and so so I just want to acknowledge that, but I also understand what you're saying about like we can't change the entire world around us. It is in how we react to the circumstances that we're in. So how do we help you know, how do how can we best befriend ourselves and ask for support from the places that we can receive safe support from in changing our situations? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's and it's again taking that ownership back and not letting people have that power over you. I mean, whatever the situation that we're in, the label that we have, the the challenge that we're put in front of us, because I will readily admit there are people that have significantly far more challenges than we do. But again, it's how do we look at it? And coming back to my breakthrough moment was I had a choice. And and that was the most empowering moment I think that I could have had that started Mm. my purpose discovery process. That reframe. And that helped me really recognize that 
I didn't want to continue going through life waiting for something to happen to me. Yeah, yeah. And really started to to take my life back. Yeah, absolutely. And so, okay, so we've covered some of the facets of purpose, the four things that tend to hold people back. So what, once we've discovered our purpose, what does the application look like? How? So I've got this purpose. Oh my God, I'm so excited and terrified. What the fuck do I do with it? Now what? So what? <laughs> like yeah. what happens? I know. Now you're speaking my language and I'm getting all excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah I mean, what do you do with it? Mm. And like I said, that was why I was so frustrated because I knew my purpose, but I wasn't using it. And and the breakthrough is when you apply it. So there's three steps to applying it. So the first really starts with people. Who is it that you feel most called or drawn to help? Sometimes those, those people are like you, that they need help overcoming what you've overcome. Mm. Sometimes those people are not like you. Sometimes they're people who are suffering in a different part of the world or from different circumstances, but you have a high level of empathy and sympathy for them. Mm-hmm. So connect with the who first. A lot of times we want to focus on purpose being why, but why is really a, a factor of motivation, whereas who is a factor of purpose. Mm. So focus on your who. Who is it that you want to help? And so that who could be single moms. That who could be you know people who are recently separated from the military, veterans. Mm. It could be people who can't afford college. It could be people in, in communities without access to, to health care. Whatever that looks like, mm. being really clear about who your who is is going to be very powerful. Am I correct in thinking that the more specific, the better? Oftentimes, yes. So there is your primary and your secondary who. So your primary who is who it is that you want to help. So my generation was my who and still is. Extremely passionate about helping people in my generation find their purpose, get connected to mentors, and really live life at their highest potential. But as I was starting my company in my early 20s, it became extremely clear that my who wasn't going to pay me to do any of that because they were just (laughs) as broke as I was. Mm. Where my secondary audience came in were were the people who were the gatekeepers and the authorizers and the sponsors of who was going to help me find my who. Mm. So that was companies, parents, and universities. And so a lot of times people will come to me and say, oh, well, I'm really passionate about children in inner cities who don't have access to uh, the arts, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I should just start a nonprofit. Well, maybe, but maybe there's another way that you can get in front of them. Is there a business that can help sponsor you? Is there an existing nonprofit? Are there partnerships that you can go after? Can you partner with a professional sports team to, to do that? So that secondary audience is who you partner with or who helps you get in front of your primary audience. Mm. So, so that's really where some of the creativity comes in is who can help you get in front of your people. Because I think that's one of the biggest myths is people say, oh, well, I found my who, I should start a nonprofit. Maybe, but probably not. Most likely there's a way for you to help them without you having to do that. The second process step of applying your purpose, first is, is people. Second is problem. So what problem do those people have mm-hmm. and how clear can you get on it? The more clear you are on that problem, the better. Mm-hmm. Because, and you see this in the marketplace, is the better you are at articulating someone's problem, the more they trust you. Right. If I am trying to sell you a car and I understand your challenges, your commute, your financial situation what your thought process is that goes into buying a car, I'm going to win you over much faster Mm. than if I just pretend like you're just like John Smith who just bought the car right before me. Mm -hmm. So really get clear about who your people are and the problems that they have. Mm. And the third is the solution, which what you'll actually get paid to deliver. Mm. So is it a product, a service? Is it a, a program? Is it a partnership? But really focus on what do you uniquely bring to the table. And we really help you do that in in tapping into your acquired skills, the abilities that you've actually developed. You don't have to go back to school. You don't have to go get 10 more degrees to actually create a solution. You have everything that you need right now to create that solution. Because back to what my mom used to say, if you see something wrong, you should say something. There's a reason that you see the problem and you see the solution and other people don't. And right. so that's really the authority that you have to to come from. That's amazing. And I, I think something, I mean, you do have to have some kind of credentials though, right? It's like you and I were chatting on the phone, like someone could come in and say, I want to teach people how to take 
$10,000 and turn it into a million dollars in investments. And it's like, cool, that's awesome. So you've done that? And they're like, no, I have not. (laughs) Right? So there is this, is there this idea that like, it doesn't have to be an official credential, like from a university, but you do at least need to have that life experience. Absolutely. And so, because there are two different types of experts. There are empirical experts who go around and collect information, best practices, study, and say, you know, nine out of 10 doctors say this, here's what the research shows. And that's where I started my expertise was because I became a millennial expert based off of reading what sociologists and and psychologists were saying about our generation of workplace experts Mm -hmm. and develop a a system based off of what other people were saying. I didn't have the experience in it. I wasn't a highly paid workplace expert. My first first client was the Navy. My second client was Google. I'm sorry, not Google, uh, Microsoft. Mm. And, And so I started off in a fairly elite level, but not because I had these years of experience. It was because I had a solution that was unique unlike anybody else's. Mm. So you can become an empirical expert without any experience because you've done the research and you've done the work. Mm. The, the second is an experienced expert who's done the work saying, yes, I've helped these 17 companies. Yes, I've climbed Kilimanjaro and I can show you how to do it. Whatever that experience is, I've lost 25 pounds. I can show you how to do it too. Mm-hmm. That's an experience-based expert. The highest paid experts are those that do both, that they have the research backing and they know what other experts say, and they have the personal experience themselves. But we oftentimes will trick ourselves out of action because we don't have the experience when we can start with the empirical. This is fascinating. And I can see how one would lead into the other as well. And so as we wrap up, is there anything... Any other, I mean, obviously everyone listening, I don't know about you guys who are tiny pocket friends who are listening, but I am chomping at the bit to read this book and find out all these solutions is, and these practical takeaways, is there anything else, any other big ideas about the book that you want to share before we wrap up? I think a big one, and it's kind of a theme that we've been talking about, that your purpose is your permission is powerful. We just finished filming our TEDx talk, Brandon, and I just finished our TEDx around this concept of your purpose is your permission. And as we were working on our talk, we kept coming back to what keeps people stuck. Mm. And in realizing that your purpose being your permission wasn't just an application, it was also to the key to discovery. Because oftentimes we feel like we don't have permission even to look and discover our purpose right now. Mm. We feel like we don't have the permission that we need to take the time to do the work. And, you know, we're delaying it for a, a better time or a rainy day or, you know, when we've finished out our Netflix queue or whatever that looks like. But we had this moment and we call it the seven to one rule where my husband was coming back from delivering the eulogy for his grandmother. Mm. And we're big data nerds. And we were having breakfast one day and he said, I wonder how long it would take just to live 1% of my life. And, and I was like, that's a very weird thing to say, but we have like <laughs> countdown clocks on our computers of like the average person lives to 78. We're planning on being 120. So we have like little <laughs> countdown oh clocks God. that we talk about all the time. We're very aware of, time of that we only have, have one life to live. Uh, and um, our friends think it's creepy, but we think it's charming. <laughs> and you, you don't do that. And we had this moment. And, and so we started to crunch some numbers and looked at, okay, what is the average time? So someone, the average age that someone will pass away is 78. How long does it take to live just 1% of your productive life, like past the age of 18? And and the answer is seven months. Wow. And so as we started even going into quarantine, one month turned to three months, turned to seven months, turned into 14 months. And we've Mm -hmm. already spent about 2% of our productive years waiting for things to return to normal. Oh my God. This is harrowing. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's terrifying because I think that we oftentimes don't think of time as percentages, percentage points. We just think, oh, it's been a few months or, you know, yeah, I didn't get as much stuff done this year as I wanted to. What about next year? And we Mm. think of 2020 as like, you know, let's just do a redo of 2021, but nothing will change unless you do. Mm. And I think sometimes the the 
gravity of of our time here on this planet as just being something that can can move so quickly. And I think maybe that's a benefit of me hanging out with a lot of older people is they all talk about how fast time flies as you get older. Yeah, death is looming. And, it, and it, I think it's just a, a powerful perspective that no matter how old you are to think about in seven months, 1% of my life will have passed. What do I want that 1% to represent? more of the same or a significantly different change of events. Because in seven months, you could be in the most amazing relationship of your life. You could be head over heels in love. You can have started your company. You could have finished your book. You could have moved to that country you've always thought of. You could have leveled up in your career. Mm. You could be in a completely different place. Seven months is fast, but it's enough time that your entire life can change and so that's really the challenge that I have for, for your listeners. It's something that keeps me in check. It's something that really helps me focus on how am I using my time. And I really just challenge your listeners to think about how are you spending the next 1%. I mean, listen, everybody, go buy Gabrielle's book. Links to all of her work will be in show notes, particularly this book as well. My God, thank you for that very, very potent bomb that you just dropped (laughs) at the end. And I was going to ask you, do you have any homework to assign for me and Lisa? But it sounds like us thinking about what we want the next 1% to look like is the homework. Totally. And we call it your kinetic life where we have you think about in where do you want your life to be like in those next seven months is what do you want to be making? Who do you want to be surrounded by? What kind of impact do you want to be making and thinking about and quantifying it. And I remember back in middle school and high school, I'd do these vision boards where you'd like cut up like a bunch of things and put it on like a poster board. You were so ahead of your time. Like Tony Robbins on a tape in eighth grade and then vision boards in high school. Like I feel like I didn't hear the word vision board, the phrase vision board until I was like 24. Right. I was very, very cool. I yeah. can probably imagine how popular I was back in the day. I'm like, come on, guys, let's come over and do vision boards. Yeah. Um, Love it. But it's it, it's amazing, though. It's not just like the act, because sometimes we do that and it feels as if we've accomplished something. Mm. But the the difference is the deadline and saying, where do I want to be in those next seven months? And and so, yeah, that's what I would say. And then focus on what have you overcome that you can help other people overcome. Make a list. Sometimes it's fun just to make a list of 15 to 20 things from, you know, what have you learned growing up? What have you done with your finances, mm. your fitness, your career? And you're going to start to notice a theme of what have you been most fulfilled doing for other people? Mm. There's going to be a theme there that you're going to recognize. These are the types of problems I like solving for other people. Mm. Because again, back to how do I replicate my most fulfilled day ever? Mm. My most fulfilled day growing up, it was writing this massive research report and again, (laughs) super nerd, presenting on it. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, which by the way, your most fulfilled day is always after the hardest day ever. Right. So stop Uh thinking that your most fulfilled day is like, you know, bonbons and doing nothing. Like you you don't, it's not retirement. That's not your most fulfilled day. It's doing something for other people and sacrificing along the way. And I have effectively replicated my most fulfilled day of researching, producing content, and presenting on it. And that's been the last five years of my life. So if you think about in your academic uh, experience, in your work experience, in your personal experience, what has been your most fulfilled day analyze it, say, what was at work there? What was I doing? Mm. Who was I helping? How was I helping them? Yeah. What were and the you elements? can start to replicate it. That is very, very powerful. Gabrielle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for writing all of these books so that we can learn from your hard-earned experience. And everybody, make sure to tune into the next episode. Gab is back with us on a mini-sode talking all about how she started her company, the work that they do. If you want to work specifically with Gab at The Purpose Company, links are in show notes to that as well, as well as social media handles. And I just need like a few days to stew on what you've just said. I feel like the integration of this is slowly going to sink in over the next few days. This is such a powerful hour. 
Well, I have had so much fun. Thank you for introducing me to your audience. I love your perspective. I love the chat. And um, I'm glad that it's been a, a powerful conversation. I've absolutely loved it. Yeah. And with that, life, life is, is abundant. abundant. Go Help Yourself was produced by Misty Stinnett and Lisa Linky. Our theme song was written by the inimitable Matt Saff. Inimitable. There's nothing we love more than hearing from you. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. We're also at gohelpyourselfpodcast on Instagram and at ghypodcast on Twitter. And you can go old school and check out our website at gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. It basically is a fancy PowerPoint slide. If you liked our podcast, <laughs> please subscribe, rate, and review because it helps helps other people find our show. You know who else needs to find it? Your friends. Tell all of your friends. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.